Hi, I'm Jamie Winker. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tanner. You're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Darwin was all about tyres. We, we bring enough food and drink for the weekend and panels. We, most, we should bring enough tyres. And Frosty takes out another Sunday win. Incredible race. The um, different tyre strategies played a massive part. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on the final edition of the V8 Insiders. Taking the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Hi, this is Will Davison from the Pepsi Max crew for Performance Racing and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. Here's the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Jamie Winkoff kicked off the Triple Crown in style, taking both Saturday poles. Yeah, yeah, we've had great race results here but never been on poles, so... Uh, you get two in one day, I feel a little bit greedy, but um, yeah, you know, as I said, the, the, guys, the guys really backed themselves with the, with the setup and, and their strategy for that one, and it's good to get a reward for that. After his win in race 17, it looked like he would be in for a solid day, but could anyone try to save tyres for the Sunday race? Oh, no, I think we all just do, do what we normally do, put a new set of tyres on for the next one, and that'll give us three for the, for the, for the last, so I don't think anyone will, will recycle tyres today. I'd be very surprised if they do. Race 18 was a success again for Wing Cup. Yeah, it's certainly refreshing. We, we had plenty of room for improvement, without doubt, with, uh, with our performances the last few months have been extremely up and down. So, um, thankfully, we've, uh, you know, the, the, the guys and girls back at the workshop, it's a bit of a cliche word, but they've really, they've really dug deep and, and really worked extremely hard to, uh, to improve the cars, you know. And everyone says it quite cheaply, but uh, they've, uh, they've really been burning the midnight oil and it's, uh, it's paid off for them today. And, um, as I say, the question is, can we continue this for, for the rest of the year? I'm not going to go into that debate, but uh, we certainly had a good day today, so fingers crossed that, uh, that the future's a little bit brighter than what it was. The big talking point on Saturday night was that the Jack Daniels team, along with Russell Ingall, who'd sacrificed race 18 to keep them on a green set of hard tyres for Sunday. Here's Wing Cup again. Oh, no, I think we all just do, do what we normally do, put a new set of tyres on for the next one, and... That'll give us three for the, for the, for the last, so I don't think anyone will, will recycle tiles today. I'd be very surprised if they do. Lucas Dumbrell told the V8 Insiders why his team rolled the dice. Yeah, we, uh, we have, you know, we kind of had two, I suppose, disappointing qualifying results today for each of the 100k races, and, you know, I suppose it just came down to, you know, the car's really not, uh, not I suppose, that friendly on hard tyres. It's a rocket ship on, on soft tyres, which um, kind of was pretty evident, you know, in, uh, in Friday practice, ending up fifth overall. Um, you know, and, uh, so I suppose... It's it's you know it's it's pretty promising where we're at. It's just you know, unfortunately you know we, we need to work on the uh, the hard tyre aspect of it. Craig Lowndes celebrated his 40th birthday with a pair of second place finishes. It's nice to uh, to have a couple of uh, podiums up here. It's always a special place. We love coming up here to the Northern Territory, and uh, it's always a tough weekend. Fabian Colford had a short answer to how he got past Garth Tander off the start of the uh, race 18. Mad skills. 
Uh, it was into the hairpin. Okay. I went up the inside yeah. of the hairpin. Sunday, Craig Lowndes set the pace in qualifying, but the used hards on his card immediately saw him fall back through the field. This opened the door for Frosty Winterbottom to re-establish his championship lead. The format probably suits us a little bit, um, uh, but yeah, you know, the last four rounds have been really good to us, all completely different tracks, but um, have all worked, so hopefully that trend continues because it is payday on, on Sunday, you do get a good um, chunk of points and um, you know, Jamie smashed everyone yesterday and um, you probably don't get rewarded as much for winning two as me finishing six and a first, I think it works out. So, um, yeah, I'm glad we're winning the big ones, but uh, we've got a lot of work to do. These guys are really quick, so um, we'll keep trying to make sure we win those Sundays and try and get better on Saturday. Shane Van Gisbergen found his Friday pace and on Sunday in the long race. He was charging through the field, almost grabbing the win in the final laps. Really what was happening the whole last stint it was um well you know before everyone pitted just had no idea how the race was going to pan out but um yeah just tried to pace off off jamie his car looked really good at the start of the stint and i was burning up my tires to try and keep up so i just backed off from him and and just cruised and then at at the end we were starting to catch mark and then i started to catch jamie and i passed jamie uh, we let me go i had a couple of quick laps and i thought oh this is gonna be good and then i had just a couple of big slides two corners in a row and it's pretty hard to recover from that. The tyres were just gone, but um, I was second last at one point in that race, so I don't, I wasn't expecting to finish second. Jamie Wincup fell short of the Triple Crown, finishing third on Sunday. I thought everyone was going to start on the hards, actually, so uh, that caught us by surprise. But we we stuck to our plan. Um, we really needed the safety car to uh, for our plan to work. We got it just at the right time, so. Um, Absolutely, I was in the box seat there in the, in the middle of the race, but um, it come down to what it should come down to, and that's car speed, and um, these guys had great car speed and, and won the race. So, um, yeah, we've got, we got some work to do, but all in all, um, good weekend, and we feel like we've uh, made a step up from Perth, and a uh, long way to go. James Courtney talked about the work the team was able to do in developing their cars over the long break between Perth and Darwin. Yeah, no, we're, uh, we're slogging through. Um, Unfortunately, the list is a lot bigger than uh, what we would have liked. So, it, you know, we've still got a lot, lot that's that's coming. I think uh, after Townsville, we'll have a big step. Um, but no, we've, we've got a few little things that have tidied a lot of stuff up. I think everyone's probably can see the difference in in our team as in HRT with you know performance this year over last year and you know consistently been getting better and better. So we're still chipping away. Um, I think still the benchmark is uh, unfortunately these boys. Uh, so we're, we're still chasing them and, and um, you know, hopefully by the end of the year we can have a tool that's, uh, that's better than theirs and, and uh, we can have a bit of a relax and, and, and uh, cruise around. Who are the 50 best V8 supercar drivers? Find out who the pit paddock think are in the latest edition of V8X magazine. There's all your favourite columns and much, much more. It's on sale now at all news agencies and online at v8x.com.au. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders, brought to you by Nobrack Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrack.com.au. After the break, Paul Marinelli and Lewis Isaacs join me for the roundtable. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing. 
V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best riders and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us, the voice of the V8 Insiders for the last eight and a quarter years, Paul Marinelli. Good evening, Paul. Good evening to you, Craig. And from Auto Action, it's Lewis Isaacs. Evening, Craig. How are you? I'm going well. It's uh, well. It's a sad night, as everyone knows, the final V8 Insiders, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, what comes in the future. But first of all, we've got three interesting races. The Triple Crown this year, Paul. Uh, Red Bull on Saturday, but FPR were able to fight back. That's been a real story this year. It's been FPR just fighting back, fighting through, and amazingly, amazingly, the pit stop races have been their strength. Yeah, they they certainly hit their straps in in terms of consistency, and I think it's it's no coincidence that Mark's leading the championship because an FPR are being so consistent. I think had they been consistent like this in the past, we'd have a similar scenario just about every season. Uh, but, you know, class act to Red Bull Racing. We all knew they'd bounce back, and, gee, didn't they do that this weekend? Superb form from both Craig and Jamie. But uh, in that last race there, it was very, very thrilling stuff and strategy that worked out. It could have gone wrong, but it worked out well. Mm. Your thoughts, Lewis, on the whole uh, FPR consistency? Well... I spoke to Frosty after the race and I said that this stage of the season last year at Darwin, you ended a win drought. Now you're leading the championship, you've had plenty of wins under the belt and it's the first time in a long time that they've actually been able to string together these kind of results and it reminds me a bit of Rick back in 2006 when he won the title. He looked at how the point system worked and kind of geared his season towards that and FPR have discovered that Sunday's double points and they're there or thereabouts on a Saturday but when it comes to Sunday, they're, they're right at the front and it's mm-hmm. working for them. Now, tyres were a huge issue, and it was interesting, I was speaking to uh, Rick Kelly after the race, and he just believes that, yep, that's because of manufactured a situation where we'll lay off a, a race that pays half as many points as the next race, and we will get ourselves into the best possible opportunity to get themselves into the top ten, and that's where they're shooting for right at the moment. Yeah, that was a, a pretty disgraceful situation on Saturday, if we're honest, the the hard tyres at this track in particular don't seem to work. There was no grip and, and no overtaking. And it's not like they haven't been coming here for the last few years with these kind of compounds. And today you switch to softs, and it wasn't the, the soft versus hards that was causing the great way, racing. It was just the fact that they could go in and have a dig and, and not be afraid to, to go in a bit later into the corners. And, and that's what worked. And it had nothing to do with the tyre bank. It was just the right compound at the right track. Yeah, it was interesting because soft tyres made for a much better race, yet... They decided that they would have, you know, X amount of hards. And some teams have got the tyre life, FPR being one, have got that tyre life, Paul, that is getting them home. Yeah, but even they struggled. You could see, you know, towards the end, everyone does. And, you know, I I just, I I thought it was a ludicrous decision from the very start. 17 years have been coming here, as Lewis said, and everybody knows what makes the racing good here. They know that this track hasn't been resurfaced for a long, long time. They know that soft tyres work better here, as they do with all motor racing, funnily enough. And, you know, if it was considered some way of saving costs or whatever the theory was behind it, at the end of the day, we're in the show business. We're in the business of putting on a show, and they must never forget that. And what took place here Saturday, sadly, was not much of a show. But Sunday made up for it, of course. 
But it was obvious that that was going to happen. Everybody was saying it um, because of the soft tyres. So you just can't take them out of the equation like they did. Hopefully the lesson's been learned from, from here. Of course, if this was horse racing and you had a situation where um, cars weren't putting the best tyres on that they could use, you would have an inquiry and there would be charges uh, possibly laid for not running at your merits. I think it's called tanking in the southern states as well, isn't it? When, when teams go crap to, to get a few draft picks and that's what it came down to it was just a, a poor choice and, and the hards don't work here and there's a, a movement in the paddock to, to shift towards more softs and even introduce a super soft perhaps Well the super soft idea has long been a case Greg Murphy though he always has said that if you uh, if you give race drivers a soft tyre they want a softer one race drivers want to do a qualifying lap or the ability to do a qualifying lap every lap. Yeah, they want to go as fast as they possibly can, otherwise you wouldn't be a race driver, you know. And there couldn't be anything more frustrating, and I was listening to the radio throughout all the racing practice and qualifying this weekend, of pretty much all the lead drivers, and everyone was saying the same thing. They just The car's become undrivable, and no racer wants to be put in that position, because then it's not even nursing, it's, it's driving a car that you know cannot do the job. And, you know, that, that leads to all sorts of problems and all sorts of um, uh, negative race driving, if you like, because all you're trying to do is bring the thing home. And that's not what we, what we want to see. Yeah, as Paul said, it's not about what the drivers want and they want the qualifying lap every time. There was just no entertainment value in Saturday at all. It was the, the dullest races of the season, easily. Fascinating Jamie Winkup. He goes out there in the press conference and follows it up with the interview I did with him, saying... Yeah, I could see how much faster the gears was. I wanted to see a good race as well, and I moved over. I didn't make it hard for him because I could have burnt up all his tyres right there. It's a fascinating line to take, and I know it's triple eight cars, but he's adamant he would have done it even if it wasn't. Well, two things about that. I mean, obviously he's going to say what he said, but he robbed himself of points or the opportunity to take those points when he's fighting for a championship. Secondly... All right, there was no chance, or very, very little chance, unless there was an accident at the front of him winning the Triple Crown. And you can't tell me that that may have been on his mind, that if he lets Shane go, and knowing how aggressive Shane is, that something may happen, and he could win the Triple Crown. I mean, but, but seriously, you know, at the end of the day, yes, he, his car wasn't quick enough, but in this category, at that level, and a champion, and I, I, you know, full respect to Jamie, he's a superstar, right? You can't take that away from him. To move over on the straight and basically back off and let someone just go. I mean, I don't know if that's what fans pay to watch and, and see. Uh, the car was it was slower, but it wasn't crippled. And that's sort of... I don't know if that was an, an order or if, what it might have been, but he certainly defended it well in the press conference. He knew what he needed to say. Um, but there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that the, the play there was that, that Shane would get desperate and perhaps do something, which would then fall straight into his lap. I might be wrong, but that's what I think. Well, Sir Jack Brabham always said, you win the race as slowly as possible, and, and uh, I think that is certainly falling into that uh, sort of moniker, isn't it? Perhaps a, low, a long bow to draw. There's perhaps a long bow to draw, but there's plenty more when we return on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. 
showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. As Lewis Isaacs and Paul Marinelli join me, Craig Ravel. And guys, interesting Saturday's races. We did see that Red Bull domination, but uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, he got one of his two podiums on the hard tyres, which showed that he had good consistency, hard to soft. And then, of course, we saw Fabian Coulthard, who has been having a remarkably consistent season, which is important when you want to be a title contender. Has slipped down the... Uh, the uh, rankings with the Sunday performance but still just very consistently knocking off each race weekend yeah it looked like today he had a few issues he hit Tander in the pits and then he came back in later and it looked like the team just got a bad read on on what to do and you know it's kind of hard to compare him to his teammates because Bright and Wood both had an off but yesterday you got to admit that he's continuing that that consistent run and it's it's remarkable he's not in the quickest car um he's a good qualifier but he's still managed to to finish there or thereabouts and while Craig or Jamie or Mark will have a bad round he's still hovering in that top five and it's working for him Paul? Oh he's a sensational racer isn't he I, I love watching Shane you know he reminds me of, of very very much of Craig Lowndes when he was first getting into the sport and the way he drives he drives in the seat of his pants he throws the thing around he somehow manages to extract performance from from bad tyres, from wherever it may be. I mean, he's a racer's racer, or whatever you want to say about him. And I, I really enjoyed watching the way he performed this weekend. And uh, and like he said, second last to second, that's pretty impressive. And uh, uh, good on him. I think he does manage to extract the best possible performance no matter what's going on with the car. And, and coming off the bad races that they've had, uh, leading to here, just, just shows just, just how quickly he can turn things around. Good steer. And it was interesting because it was a strategy call that you mentioned with... Uh, Fabian Coulthard, he came onto pit lane immediately as soon as that safety car was called. We haven't had many safety cars this year, and that might have been the reason for it. But Shane Van Gisbergen, from the seat, told his team, I'm not coming in. I've got to catch the train to get in before. And then he pitted twice under that safety car. And that also is a mark of Shane Van Gisbergen. He just understood the entire situation. He played it all out and then just said back to his engineer, no, I'm going to catch the train and then come. And we've seen that with a couple of drivers, um, like uh, some of the things that Mostert said over the radio and a number of other of the younger drivers who are actually not totally and solely relying on their race engineer and actually suggesting things during the race or coming up with things which the engineer probably thinks, OK, if that's what he wants to do or, you know, and that's good. That's a good, that shows the drivers becoming more technical and actually taking more control over what happens. Because how many times you see them in the pits after, and you know, having worked with teams over a number of years, they come out of the car and they're screaming at the engineer, you shouldn't have made me do that. You shouldn't have. You told me that that's what it... This way, a driver takes some of that responsibility, and I, I think that's excellent. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable that Shane did it. It's, it's kind of a new level for him. He's, he's always been quick and, and flamboyant, but to have that kind of cerebral approach is not something he's, he's been known for, with all due respect. But for him to do that today, it's, it's impressive. And as you mentioned, Chaz, it's, it's something they've kind of grown up with. You know, you get these young guys that start in the Dunlop series and they know how to drive the cars and, and they know how the sport works intimately because they work with big teams and it's just another part of their arsenal these days. Now, of course, uh, Volvo. Unfortunately for Robert Dahlgren, he had another 
DNF and it's amazing how it's almost like Red Bull in Formula One where it's always Weber's car that had the trouble whilst his high-flying teammate was able to knock out once again solid results and uh, I think a fourth, fifth and an eighth across the weekend for Scott McLaughlin. Yeah, if you look at the points table and the results, it, it doesn't paint a great picture for, for Dahlgren but if you dig a bit deeper and you check out practice times, you'll see he's, he's quite quick. This weekend, he got like 12 laps across three 20-minute sessions. And as a rookie to the series and the track, that's a, a long way to be starting further back than everyone else. But his pace was impressive. And you kind of see it in the races that maybe he's a bit too timid sometimes and, and gives too much respect to his rivals. But that'll change once he gets his qualifying up there and gets a bit more confidence and isn't afraid to return the car for a few, few bumps and, and whatever on it. He'll, he'll be right up there because he, he came well-credentialed. And Alex Prema had the same problem his first year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this series is not easy, and the drivers make sure that new drivers don't find it easy. And you ask any of the young guys when they start, and uh, Laura the Jungle applies. I think Lewis is 100% correct. Uh, sadly for him, the throttle was stuck today. There's nothing he could do. He just screamed out on the radio, throttle stuck, and then off he went. And um, so there's not much he could do to avoid it. But I do agree that his racecraft is his big issue at the moment. Um, he may have done a lot of racing in the past, absolutely. And in this category, they hit you, you hit them back, you hit them back twice as hard. He hasn't done that yet. Because once you start doing that, that's when drivers go, oh, gee, I don't know. But not, not do this. It could cost me the race. Because sadly, it's what you need to do. You know? And again, I'll bring up the example of, of Mostert and the way he defends himself um, and a number of other younger drivers that have come through. If you look at Wing Cup, when he got his second chance, when he came through, he wasn't going to take anything from anybody. Uh, even to a certain extent, Frosty as well, from his own teammates too, like Jason Bright back in the day. I can remember them bumping into each other several times until that was finally sorted, where Jason and him had to really realise that neither one of them were going to give. So unless you're going to crash, you're going to have to... you know. And, and that's what a driver needs to do. Dahlgren needs to do that. I agree that he's pace in practice, and he's had some amazing qualifying performances too. We know the car's very, very good, but he needs to now just get more aggressive get the job done well I guess a couple of the other things we've talked about certainly the the tyre situation but we're coming towards 12 months of uh, of James Warburton's stewardship of their supercars and it's certainly been an interesting 12 months when we were in Hidden Valley last year the mood in team land was depressive bordering on you know ring up beyond blue we come back here 12 months later and, and it's a, a different landscape, Lewis. Oh, he's still got a lot of work to do. Like, I give him full credit for uh, getting the TV, TV deal done and some revenue to those wrecks, which was, was pretty much long overdue. The way that was handled was a bit poor. You know, announce a deal, keep parts of it secret, then have another press conference, keep more of it secret. And this is all a year out from the first race. That's, that's not the brightest management I've ever in- encountered. But he's got a lot of challenges. He knows he needs to get a title sponsor for the series. He knows he needs to get a lot more confidence in the general sponsorship market. And he's, he's working hard at doing that. And he's, he's also taking things to a grassroots level. He's not afraid to commit supercars to helping out other tracks and, uh, and the like. He's, he's an intelligent operator, which is uh, pretty clear. But his first few moves got a couple of people offside, particularly in the fan area. And he's got a challenge to win them back as well. Mm-hmm. But... He was able to secure a few races that were looking very, very uh, shaky, which were so dependent on government support. 
Yeah, secured at a reduced level, but nonetheless secured, which in this day and age to get any sort of government support for anything is very, very hard. Everybody's tightening up the straps, and that's why we're so fortunate to have this event. The NT government and their incredible support of this event just gets better and better every year. Uh, but all that can't be taken for granted. Uh, in terms of his first 12 months, look, he picked up a basket case. Let's, let's, let's be quite honest here. The job he got to hand it. You know, the number of CEOs before, the, the, the absolute disasters that had taken place. So in that, in that, in that respect, yes, I, I think he's been able to try and bring some more control and development into it. But there has been a lot of talk, uh, and I want to see what the results of that talk is rather than the, the talk of we will do this and we will do that. And wanna, you know, just keep moving forward. Let's all be positive. Let's get this sport back where it needs to be. But let's not talk rubbish as well. And I think there's been a little bit of that. And as, as Lewis rightly said, you will not get that corporate support. We will not get those big-time platform sponsors that we once enjoyed having three of, in fact. Uh, that will not happen until when you walk the walk, you talk the, you talk the talk, and then you walk the walk. We've got to deliver on what we promise, or under-promise and over-deliver. Because at the moment, we're not doing either. But it's on the way there. Yeah, as, as Paul touched on, 12 months ago, it was a basket case, but... It's very hard to judge now. I don't know whether teams are, are happier, but I know they're not richer, and that's really their primary concern. The, the sport is, is one thing. The, the product on track is good, and he's done a great job cementing those formats because last year, what the hell was going on at half those races? The halftime orange break, that's, that's going to be frowned upon for a long time. But, yeah, there's still not a lot of great deal of confidence in the commercial sector of this sport, and that's probably his next big challenge. Yeah, and of course the interesting thing that I've been getting back from commercial managers, team owners is, well, whilst we haven't got the details of the television, people are picking up the phone or returning phone calls, and that's the first step on being able to get the FMGC uh, CGs and the blue chips back on board. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's more attractive than what we currently have, is no doubt. The big question from a marketing point of view is quantifying the audience. We'll be able to exactly quantify the 10 audience for the replays and the highlight shows and whatever. We will not be able to exactly quantify the pay TV audience. You can have a potential market, you will not have an exact market. Uh, they've been doing it for years and, and they'll tell you how many households have got it. You do not know exactly how many are watching. They will just give you the max number every time. But that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Because everybody who really enjoys their television pretty much has got pay TV or enjoy their sport. Whether it's a whole heap of new people are going to go and spend the money to do it, I really don't know. One thing I do know is that Australians have been spoiled badly with free-to-wear, with everything being free. Anywhere you go in the world, unless you have pay TV, you're not going to see the sports you like. And you're not, certainly not going to get detailed coverage and all that stuff. We are slowly going in that direction. I think... Once we can sell that confidently, once it's all out there and we're in a position to sell or the teams are in a position to sell that confidently, it'll be, it'll be a good thing. But at the moment, it's a bit hard to quantify. When you're up against sports that can tell you exactly who's watching, how many there are, what age group they are, what cars they buy, what food they eat, these are the, that's the big issues because that's what we're up against now. You know, we've got to deliver on what we promise. And, of course, uh, interestingly, uh, with the Foxtel part of it, when you do the uh, when you run it through the computer and it picks up all the signage, when you go ad free for an entire race, that significantly increases the amount of uh, airtime that it's getting, and that that's really going to be able to help those figures, which will then hopefully engage some sponsors to get on board in a big way. Yeah, well, that's the hope, I guess. But there's still 
some concerns about this TV deal, like months on. The demographics for V8 fans are quite unique, I guess, amongst other other sports in Australia, and and whether a lot of them can afford to, to switch over is a massive concern. It's great that 70% of the coverage is still on free-to-air, but we also don't know how it's going to be packaged into a 90-minute kind of block on, on free-to-air yet. So how do the teams take that to sponsors and say, this is your free-to-air equi- equivalent? Because there's a lot of coverage to get through at these race weekends. Mm, well, uh, no point me saying I'm a, I'm a big fan and I believe this will be a, a success just from my experience overseas. And I, I really think this is the watershed moment for the sport in 2015. But as, as Lewis rightly said earlier too, the way this has been handled in terms of just not coming out and saying... This is the deal we've done. This is like for good, for better, or for worse. This is the deal we've done, and we'll work on developing it as we go. And you get get these drip feeds of things, and sometimes the news gets worse <laughs> than what it was before. You know, that is not the way to handle it. Just that's another lack of confidence. And this isn't amongst the teams. This is amongst the fans. So we cop at Auto Action regularly. People still blowing up about this Foxtel deal because they don't want to open their wallets. Essentially, and that's where it comes down to. We've been spoiling Australia, and. It, you're working all over the world these days, uh, commentating Formula One, Formula One supports, Paul. You're getting it firsthand what the fan experience is like. But don't forget, those markets are far more massive than our market, right? Far more massive. Also, don't forget that while some of these countries are bankrupt in Europe, not all of them are, right? But you know, we are facing a dire economic situation in terms of the taxes and the burdens and the things that are changing and the expense of, of just living these days in Australia is just skyrocketing. And I can understand, a lot of people just dismiss it, oh, come on, you can afford to pay TV. A lot of people can't, you know, and, and, and that's serious, you know, and uh, that, that's something that, that we, we have to also take into account given the current economic situation as well. Well, hold on, we'll take another break. We'll be back with the Munro White Flag lap in just a few moments. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Jonathan Webb from Techno Autosports, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the Vans Supercars. We are going to extend this final round table on the Munro White Flag lap, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers. And Lewis, you wanted to follow up on that point of the economic doom and gloom that's on the horizon here in Australia. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily that, but just the fact that we've got this TV deal and there's the digital rights are still so clouded when every other sport in the, in the world has got it figured out. I know in Australia we don't quite have the infrastructure that America has with their internet and their streaming, but... There's talk that Foxtel will put out a competitive package for digital, but when the NBA has got league pass for every game of every team for 300 or so dollars, you know you can't compete with that for the the 15 events we have spread over a weekend that are, you know, fairly limited track time. It's it's something they they should have considered because it's, that's the future really. The NRL app is a couple of dollars a week, and you get games live on your phone. If they can do it, why can't we? It's it's going to be a, an interesting marriage with the digital content. And, of course, uh, there has been a lot of talk about how, uh, well, we've got Foxtel, that means we've got News Limited, 
and obviously News Limited has a lot of weight in the, the print media section, sector as well as the, uh, the Foxtel uh, agreement. Media incest. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing as to how, how it's all going to develop. And, and I personally, you know, I just, you know, the publications such as, you know, Lewis's Auto Action and, and you know, just watching our, not only our sport but in general the amount of print media just disappearing, you know, and that just, we cannot allow this to happen, you know. I was having a talk to a guy, um, a, a veteran journalist, at, out uh, this weekend, he was like, you know, we're getting to the point and no one's going to open a newspaper. And, it's, and, you know, I just think that is absolutely tragic. And, again, it's another deliverable that we can't deliver to a sponsor. And that, that's the way I look at it from a marketing point of view. And I can remember through the years that I've worked with teams that, you know, without all those auto-action clippings, you know, you may consider it a little bit, whatever, it all adds up. And it's all exposure to consumers. And that's what we're trying to do with this thing. So we've got to try everything we can with whatever media deals we do as a sport to help and enhance the developed print media, not to turn it against covering us. And sadly, looking at the number of journalists here at Hidden Valley this weekend, it's pretty bloody scary, let me tell you, because there's not, not too many here. Yeah, of course, Auto Action, VADX, the only dedicated motorsport magazines in Australia left. Yeah, it's, it's a survival story, I guess, in its own way. And it's just, I don't know if it's an indictment on the media industry, but just the way it, it's, it's heading at the moment, it's... Um, it's quite odd we're at this kind of tipping point and you get a lot of websites like V8 Supercars who try to control it on their own and I think people are fairly sceptical of, of series-owned media. But the teams as well, they've got their own websites, they've got social media. It's diversifying but not everyone's moving with it at the same pace and I think there's a bit of legitimacy that comes with print and in particular the daily newspapers because they've got those hard-hitting journos and that's still probably the better jobs you can get as a journo. But when the audience kind of peters out, it's where does that legitimacy come from? And, of course, uh, just before I go to you, Paul, uh, we see in the rugby league teams like Newcastle, they've got a media manager now and they're employing their own journalists. And that is another interesting change in the demographic. So uh, for years people have complained about, oh, they've just rehashed the press release. Well, now they've got a journalist who's just writing journalistic, and if you could see my quotes, uh, journalistic stories. Yeah, I actually uh, I know this, this journalist. He's a, he's a former colleague of mine, and uh, I know a bit more about the inner workings of it. And uh, I'm not sure what the... Um, I, I don't want to put, put him in the shit here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's strange that they want to control the, the message like this. They can always just say to each other, we don't want to give you the access because we've covered it ourselves. But have they covered it to the full extent of, of public interest? Well, no. Two points about uh, media legitimacy or print media legitimacy that, that Lewis raised. I can tell you as a PR consultant for many years, if I hand a sponsor a newspaper story, uh, image and story from a newspaper, I could have 25 CDs of, of digital stuff, website stuff, even some TV stuff, right? And But I hand them that newspaper article from a major daily, let's say, and they are over the moon about it. And I'll say, oh, but what about all this? Which we all know is still valuable, but it's not considered the same way. And it's that legitimacy of print media, and we can't, we can't lose that, as I, as I mentioned earlier. And about your other point about the journalist employed by Newcastle and the, and the other things you're saying, Formula One tried that. You know, Bernie had this theory a few years ago. One photographer, one journalist, not that it was ever going to be just one. But I don't need all these hundreds of journalists at these events. I just need my journalists, my my uh, photographers, my TV crew, my digital service, and look what happened. 
the whole thing not only cost an absolute fortune and failed dismally, probably one of the, the only big disasters he sort of had, but they turned around and suddenly opened the floodgates. And now to get media credentials to any Grand Prix around the world is easier than it's ever been. Unless you're radio where they still yeah. want their uh, yeah. uh, £18,000 to yeah. cover it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but they flipped that all around because they realised, oh, gee, if we go down this road, we, we suffer. And the exposure suffered enormously. And now you go to a press centre at a Grand Prix and there's 600 people in there. And, and you'll send an application thinking, I've got no hope. Yeah, yep, accepted. In you go. And you'll see people writing blogs and, and everyone's got an FIA pass because they've realised that, that if they kept going in the direction they did, it just would have been disastrous. Which is the American way. That's NASCAR, that's how IndyCar operates, because they work on the fact, and I've said this a a thousand times before on this show, um, but they work on the fact they don't know if the fellow writing for the local shopping centre newspaper is going to be the head of USA Today's sports editorial. Yeah, well, you kind of see that here as well. Like, There's certain rules to get accredited, but they don't seem to apply. It's it's just anyone gets a, a hard pass these days, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because there is a diversification of coverage but in V8 in particular you do see them they've expanded their own media uh, we'll call it a portal so they've got their website and they employ journalists themselves too but again I think there's a a, a scepticism that that comes along with that Well guys it's great to have you on the V8 Insiders it is uh, for a final time but Paul Lewis thanks very much that's all we have time for on the V8 Insiders and the check flag waves over the V8 Insiders. I'd like to thank VADX Magazine, all the journos, V8 Supercars and team personnel have come on the show over the eight and plus years that we've been doing it. And uh, until we speak again, until next time around, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.